Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, Mets fans. Welcome back to Amazing Avenue in Conversation. Today, Chris McShane and I get to talk to the captain himself, David Wright. David has a new book out called The Captain, a Memoir. It's co-written with Anthony DeComo of MLB.com, who we are going to have on the show soon to talk about the book as well. But today we have the main event. We get to talk to David Wright about growing up in Norfolk as a baseball fan, about some of the players he played with, about his walk-up music, and more. Enjoy. So, uh, David, this is very exciting for us because for both Chris and myself, uh, you know, we're about your age. And so we were we were big Mets fans before you started with the team. And I think for both of us, you sort of were one of the players, along with Jose and a couple of other younger guys who were sort of like our our stand ins on the team. We could see ourselves in you. And so because of that, you know, we grew up probably watching the same baseball game, same players. So when, when you were a kid getting into baseball, who were your guys? Who were your favorite players? So does that make us relatively young or relatively old? I'm still trying to figure <laughs> Man, that out. I, I have feel, no idea. I think a lot older than the <laughs> <laughs> Um That's a good question. So I grew up in the southeast kind of corner of Virginia, uh, Virginia Beach, Chesapeake area. Um, and obviously our AAA team was in Norfolk for, you know, the longest time. My father being a, Norfolk police officer uh, would take us to a lot of the tides games. So, you know, I grew up uh, kind of going to those AAA games and getting the biggest kick out of, you know, either taking a picture or getting an autograph and seeing that same player. 
on TV a week later in the big leagues for the New York Mets. So, um, you know, I got a huge kick out of that. But once a year, my dad, um, we'd go on this kind of bus trip. It was about a three and a half hour trip to Baltimore. And Camden Yards was relatively new at the time. And he'd take uh, my brothers and I up there and we'd sit in the upper deck and, um, you know, watch the Baltimore Orioles. So I was a huge Cal Ripken fan. Um, just because he was a bigger shortstop at the time I played shortstop and I was a little pudgy and round. So not saying that Cal Ripken's pudgy and round, but I was a little bigger and, you know, everybody, you know, said I was too big to play shortstop. So, you know, I grew up a big, uh, you know, Cal Ripken junior fan based on proximity and my dad taking us each year to camping yards. Yeah. I mean, I, I think for a lot of us, that was, that was a huge player growing up. I remember specifically watching the, I think it was the 93 all-star game at Camden Yards. And uh, this is back in the day. I used to tape video games off I mean, vi- the video games. Excuse me, tape games onto videotapes and watch them over and over again. And uh, Cal Ripken was huge at that time. He was just going after the streak at that point. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Um, Chris, who was one of your big players when you were growing up? Uh, around that time, for me, um, it, it was Jeff Bagwell, really. And uh, David, I think there's some some similarity there in you know some of that backstory where he got to play in a minor league park, very close to home. Uh, you know, there was a game where my dad and his dad wound up sitting next to each other and talk baseball for three hours while he's playing third base. And then the next year he starts his career with the Astros, um, you know, after he got traded. Uh, so, you know, Bagwell, Piazza, all the rude, you know, the, those guys really stood out. But Bagwell was always my favorite non-Met. Uh, did he ever come through any of the minor league parks that you went to, David, when you were a, a kid? Yeah, th- that was kind of my, one of my like eye opening. So I think it was my first spring trainer. I may have been over on the minor league side in Port St. Lucie, and they may have called me up to pinch run or something from minor league camp for one of the the big league games. And um, my roommate in the minor leagues was Matt Galante Jr. Yeah. Matt Galante Sr. was our third base coach. So who spent you know years and years in the Astros organization? We were playing the Astros. So Matt Galante Sr. and Jr. were going to say hi to, to Bags over on the visiting side. He made the trip. And they said, hey, do you want to meet Jeff Bagwell? I said, of course. So I, I, they bring me over there. You know, we introduce each other. Um, the visiting clubhouse guy over there for the Mets is uh, since retired, but Tony Carullo. So Tony's packing his bags up and stuff. And, you know, Bags couldn't have been nicer. Great guy. And talks to me, shakes my hand, you know, asks me some baseball questions. We talk a little bit. But then he pulls out his wallet and hands Tony for, you know, packing his bag, like a hundred dollar bill. And I was like, Oh man, that is, that is balling right there. When you're just you know pulling out a hundred and giving it to the guy for packing the bag. I was like, that, that's big league stuff right there. So that was kind of my first like eye opening, like, you know, big league moment with Jeff Bagwell, seeing how much he tipped the visiting clubhouse guy for, you know, five minutes of work. Nice. Yeah, that, that is, that's pretty great. Um, and, and in terms of minor league baseball in general, I know uh, you write about it in the book. And I think Mets fans who are familiar with your background know that that was, you know, a big part of your your childhood, as it is for so many kids throughout the country. Uh, and, and I'm sure there's people internationally who follow the minor leagues uh, here as well. So I'm just curious, you know, how do you feel about Major League Baseball um, trying to go down this path of, you know, Thinning the ranks of the minors, uh, Binghamton is is one of the places that's slated to be removed. Obviously, you played there and thrived there, and that was you know a big step on your way to your major league career. Um, 
you know, what, what do you think of this concept? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I haven't been asked that. And to, to be truthful, I haven't given it much thought. And I don't know the, the economics of minor league baseball or, you know, kind of a lot of the ins and outs, but I do know that, um, you know, I'll, I'll give you a good example. Jeff McNeil, Jeff McNeil spent, you know, quite a bit of time in the minor leagues, not necessarily excelling, but given the chance to play something clicked and, you know, he became an all-star in the big league. So, you know, I think there's something to be said for, you know, giving as many guys, you know, as many opportunities as possible in the minor leagues, because you never know, you know, when they're going to develop or at what rate they're going to develop. Um, you know, you look at a guy like Jacob DeGrom, he was a later draft pick. Um, and maybe with fewer teams, you know, does he get the opportunity that he got? I, I don't know if, I mean, obviously he's done a hundred, so he's going to get the opportunity, but, you know, being a late round draft pick, you know, would he have gotten the same number of starts as a first, second, third, fourth, fifth round draft pick? I, I don't know the answer to that question, but I do know that, um, you know, for me, um, it's sad to obviously see these, you know, these teams go if, if, if it goes through, but, um, you know, I guess we got to make do with what we got to make do, but, you know, I guess I'm on the side of giving as many guys, as many opportunities as possible, because you never know when you're going to find that diamond in the rough that takes, you know, four or five years to develop and needs those extra at bats in the minor leagues, as opposed to a, you know, guy that flies through the minor league system and, um, you know, excels at every level and just keeps going up. Sometimes guys need, you know, an extra year, an extra two years at a certain level, and then something clicks and they become, excellent major league players yeah you know yeah. When, when, sorry chris go ahead oh yeah no i'm just gonna say uh, and i know you mentioned uh david that connection between yourself as a fan and the players when you were younger and then sort of you know paying that back when you got to play in norfolk um and, and signing every autograph that you could you know i grew up in connecticut at the time that three double a franchises were there uh all at once and shea stadium yankee stadium and fenway park were all you know, accessible, not that bad of a drive, but really grew up being seasoned on that minor league game as a fan. So, you know, that, that, that's something that hit home uh, and just reading it in, in the book. Of course. I remember, you know, going to, I mentioned earlier, going to AAA games in Norfolk. And luckily I had a dad that was a police officer and, you know, a lot of the off, you know, guys, you know, police officers that were off duty would make a little extra cash, you know, doing security stuff at the stadium. And my dad knew them. So, you know, I'd get a chance to meet a player, or, you know, get a foul ball or something. And those were, you know, some of the best baseball memories as a fan for me as a kid is going down to watch the AAA team, um, you know, seeing how good these guys are in person and just dreaming that one day I could be on the other side of that fence. And, and, uh, and you know, it's pretty cool to kind of come full circle and then get the opportunity to play on that field in front of, you know, friends and family, uh, you know, years after that, you know, just dreaming in the stands as a kid. Yeah, you know, absolutely. You yeah. You know, you mentioned talking about, um, you know, sometimes people need more time in the minor leagues to sort of, you know, unlock their potential or to figure out what's, you know, what's the best position for them or their best swing approach or whatever case may be. Another way that players are evaluated are through, you know, statistics and advanced metrics. And over the course of your career, 
the sort of acceptance of advanced metrics changed quite a bit. And so what do you think about the sort of revolution in, in information? Did it help you as a player to have a lot of information at your disposal? Or did you rather, would you rather have been left alone and sort of figure that stuff out on your own with the help of your coaches? So it's kind of funny. When I first got caught up, there was zero, you know, kind of analytics. I mean, you just went on the old, you know, kind of the old school scouting reports and kind of each year it seemed like it kind of, made it the analytics made a presence kind of more and more um i guess to answer your question directly i think that there is certainly room in the game for analytics but there's also room for you know having a good feel um knowing the game having that kind of um they call it a sixth tool where you know you learn to play the game correctly and and have some feel for the game so i think a good kind of 50 50 split is where i would say the sweet spot is um you know i think that there was definitely some benefits um to the analytics for me when you break down um you know numbers or pitchers tendencies or um you know when guys put the ball and play on the ground playing third base when guys put the ball and play on the ground you know it's typically in this spot so you're going to play there you know playing the odds um i never really looked at it from a, you know, uh, you know, now there's this, you know, obviously like with the launch angle theories and things like that, I never really took it that far. You know, I liked mm-hmm. it more to prepare the numbers wise. Um, you know, but I think that, you know, there's something to be said when you're putting a team together, you know, not necessarily looking at these guys as numbers or player A or player B or player C. I think that sometimes when you're only basing things off analytics or numbers you overlook the importance of being a good teammate you know being a good leader being a winning baseball player um it's unfair to judge a you know player a versus player b when you don't take into account the the presence or the type of game that they play because you know one bad apple or two bad apples in the clubhouse can kind of ruin a chemistry type thing and i know some people think chemistry and being a good teammate is a bit overrated but I think it's very important because you're around these guys more than you're around your family over the course of the summer. So, mm-hmm. you know, you have to put up with these guys um, and you have to kind of everybody pull in that same direction on the rope. And I think sometimes if you dive too much into the analytics, you forget, you know, kind of that feel and what it's like to put a team together um, with good teammates and, and winning baseball players. Was there one sort of bit of analytics information, whether it was, you know, pitcher stats or, you know, your your hot spots in the zone? What was the most important bit of analytics that you took to your game? Well, I think, um, you know, you definitely hit two of them in um, pitcher's tendencies. Like when you have a such a large sample size, like for me, I remember, I can't remember what year it was, but he, uh, Cole Hamels was still pitching for the Phillies. And he had this incredible – credible tendency to throw change-ups in three, two counts. So typically in a three, two count, you know, I would go up there and look for a fastball. And if he threw something off speed, you know, I'd try to put it in play or, you know, tip my cap and say, Hey, kind of good pitch. You got me out. But, you know, knowing that he had a, you know, a very big tendency to throw change-ups in three, two counts, I sat on a change-up, ended up hitting a home run. And that was solely based on, you know, gathering this information you know, not just from the start of that year, but from years of collecting that information, you know, it allowed me Mm -hmm. to kind of guess right at the plate. Um, And also knowing my strengths and weaknesses, you know, one of my weaknesses was, you know, pitchers would 
hammer me in with fastballs. And knowing that I wasn't necessarily all that great at hitting it, you know, maybe I go up there and look away. And if they can throw me a fastball in, I take it for a strike. And I, but I still keep my approach knowing what my strengths and weaknesses up there at the plate were very important because why would I go up there and look for a pitch that I, I don't handle very well? You know, why would I go up there and look for that pitch? You know, know your strengths and go up there and look for those pitches because chances are, you know, pitchers aren't going to be able to make three perfect pitches in an at-bat, so you're going to get a good pitch to hit at some point. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time <gasps> no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky play for free at luckylandslots.com daily bonuses are waiting no purchase necessary void were prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details yeah pitching uh i you know somewhat striking uh, when you look at the years of your career with the Mets uh, and obviously the franchise that has a rich history with pitching and you look, you got to have teammates, uh, you know, Pedro Martinez, Tom Glavin, Johan Santana, R.A. Dickey, Matt Harvey, Jacob deGrom. And obviously there've been a lot of other good guys there too, but you know, uh, Pedro Glavin deGrom uh, have had some of the best pitching seasons of all time. Um, R.A. Dickey. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're huge Dickey fans over here. <laughs> but, um, you, you know, what was that like? Because it, it it's kind of funny now to, to see, obviously, DeGrom has had his very best seasons over the last couple of years. But your career, you know, sort of bridged from Pedro uh, up to DeGrom. It, what was that span of pitching teammates like? Yeah, I mean, I got when I got called up, um, you know, I got an opportunity to. Uh, it was a very veteran group, um, and you know, we don't have enough time to name all the guys that helped me out from a veteran presence standpoint. But you mentioned pitching. You got you know Tom Glavin, um, you know Pedro Martinez. You got some future Hall of Famers there, and you know it just seems like the history is so rich. Uh, you know, with the pitching, and you know, you mentioned Jacob Degrom, and I have never seen the type of dominance that you know I've seen you know the last four or five years with with, with Jacob I mean for a guy that kind of came up and um, I believe we we're going to use him out of the bullpen and you know somebody got hurt and he made his first start against the Yankees yeah I remember even going back before that in spring training we do little inner squads and I had no idea it was like some tall skinny kid with long hair and I'm like all right give me a bat I'm gonna I'm gonna show this guy you know a little something and you know, first couple of pitches, I'm like, wow, either I'm not ready for baseball this spring or this ball's coming out a little differently than most people. And, um, you know, just his attitude of, I mean, he hates 
to get beat on the mound. He hates to give up hits. He hates to walk guys. I mean, he's got this incredible intensity and you would never know, you know, based on his interviews or kind of the public persona, but he's got this, this will to win and this drive to be the best that makes him, you know, the best in the game. I mean, you know, you mentioned it. I've, I've had a chance to play with some of the great pitchers of, of, of the generation, but, you know, with a game on the line, a game seven, you know, there is nobody that I'd rather have the ball uh, than Jake. I mean, it's just that bulldog mentality is unlike anything, you know, I've seen before. And I've gotten a chance to play third behind some of some of the greats. And, and Jake just, uh, to me, is in a, in a class all by himself with what he's done these last, you know, three, four or five years. Yeah, anytime somebody brings up who's the best pitcher in baseball, we we think the answer is pretty obvious right now. Um, and, you know, I'm glad uh, you brought up, you know, stepping in in spring training. Uh, one of my favorite small moments in Port St. Lucie, I, you know, I've had the pleasure of getting down there to cover for a few days each year for most of the last seven or eight years. Uh, and in 2013, on the mounds right outside the, the old media room now, um, mm-hmm. Latroy Hawkins was throwing a bullpen and you came out and you asked if you could stand in and he obliged, but he said, just don't get me released. <laughs> I, I, I don't, it's a, it's a, it was a tiny moment. I don't know if you remember that happening. Um, but it was just one that always stuck out to me because, you know, his, his personality and, and, you know, you heard him as a player, you hear him as a broadcaster. Uh, do, do you remember that little thing happening? <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, nice. you know, you have to as a hitter, you have to pick and choose who you're willing to get up there because you feel a little defenseless when you're uh, you, you're you're talking about a, it's a bullpen session. So I obviously I'm not free to swing. So I'm right. just up there tracking pitches. So you feel a little defenseless when you're holding the bat, but you can't swing. You feel, almost feel like, you know, like you're up there kind of naked. And so you have to pick the right pitchers to do it, because if you know you pick somebody that doesn't know where the ball is going, you know, you get a little kind of happy feet in there. Uh, but you know, a guy like Hawk, a veteran, you know, one of the best teammates and, and best people, um, you know, in the game at the time, you know, I had no problem stepping in there because I, you know, I knew he knew where the ball was going and I could, you know, comfortably kind of dig in and and get some work in. Yeah. And one thing uh, that comes to mind with him as well, uh, obviously the Mets have this, you know, bounty of excellent broadcasters. um, But Hawkins has got into broadcasting uh, for the twins. And, you know, you, you think of some of the people who have come through uh, former players in the Mets broadcast universe, obviously Keith Hernandez and Ron Darling currently um, Ralph Kiner, even though he didn't play for the Mets as a, as a former player who had that voice. And of course, uh, you know, Tom Seaver uh, getting, getting to spend time in the booth um, as a Mets legend is that something that you could see yourself doing in some capacity someday? Is, is there any desire to, to do that kind of thing? You know what? I, I don't foresee it. Um, you know, I love talking the game. Like I'm enjoying the conversation, uh, you know, with you guys talking the game. You know, I don't think that I could do it um, or be good at it on a nightly basis for three, four hours. Um, you know, I think that, uh, I enjoy, I think, more of the kind of talking baseball, teaching, coaching, um, 
kind of on a part-time basis, you know, each year since I've been done playing, I've gone down to spring training and worked with some of the younger infielders on the, on the minor league side for, you know, a couple of days. And I've enjoyed doing that. Um, I've enjoyed talking the game. You know, I had a chance to talk with the hitting coaches on the minor league side last year for a few days and just talking hitting philosophy and what they're teaching the younger players and what, you know, I kind of thought about, you know, I enjoy more of that than kind of the announcing or being in the booth. Um, you know, so I don't foresee it, I guess, never say never, but, um, you know, I'm kind of happy, uh, with the kind of part-time, um, thing I'm doing now where I get a chance to do a little bit of everything. And, um, you know, especially, you know, working with some of the younger players or even, um, you know, some of the younger, less experienced third basemen that are kind of big league guys that they're going to be playing over there. You know, I enjoy kind of talking the game and being around it that way. Now, uh, we're both big music guys, and so I got to talk to you about your walk-up music. You had some of the best walk-up okay. music in your time as the Mets. Uh, I, I love when you had Brass Monkey. You had I Got Five on it, which was great because of your number. What was your philosophy when picking a song to walk up to? What What did you want it to do for you in that moment? You know what? It's that, That's great. I, so I, I always got input from my brothers. Um, you know, I think that it's something that you want – something that's excitable, something that kind of gets, not necessarily gets the adrenaline pumping, but kind of gets you a little pumped up at the, at the moment, something that gives you a bit of an edge. Um, But it's funny because if if you, um, you know, if you listen to what's on my headphones when I, you know, work out or whatever now, you know, it's kind of the opposite. You know, I, I I listen to everything from, you, you mentioned, you know, beastie boys, you know, to, uh, Dave Matthews to, uh, you know, country to, you know, some hip, some, I like a little more of the old school hip hop. Uh, you know, it's just, I got a little bit of everything, you know, so it's kind of, um, it kind of depends on what mood I'm in, I guess. But, you know, when you're walking up for an at-bat song, you want something that gives you a little bit of an edge that, you know, gets you fired up at the moment, but not too much to where you kind of get out of your game. Right. Well, David, we want to thank you so much for taking the time today. And want to thank you, too, as just Mets fans. You know, you gave us such amazing memories over your years there. You know, I was privileged to be at your second ever game and at your last game. And so I got to watch you play thousands of hours of baseball. And I I speak for Chris and myself and for all of the Amazing Avenue staff and readers. Just thank you so much for what you gave us as a Mets player. We really, really appreciate it. Well, that's probably the, the, you know, the nicest thing that, that that you could say to me, I I appreciate that. You know, I I really appreciate the the love and support that I got, you know, in that organization, in that city, you know, from the fans, it it, it meant the world to me. And, um, you know, to be able to be a lifetime, lifelong Met uh, was a privilege and an honor. So I I appreciate the kind words and I appreciate our baseball chat. Yeah. Well, everyone should go out and pick up the captain, David's new book with Anthony Tacomo. And uh, hopefully, Everything gets back to normal, and we can see you in Port St. Lucie next year or see you around the ballpark. We hope you and your family are well. And, again, just thank you for making the time today. Thank you. Hope so. Look forward to it. Well, folks, thanks for listening to Amazing Avenue in Conversation. Thank you again to David Wright. Please go pick up his book, The Captain by David Wright and Anthony DeComo. He is one of the true good guys in the game. 
I met him once in Houston. That's a story for a different day where he was incredibly nice to me, and he was just a joy to have on the podcast. Chris and I have been wanting to talk to David forever, and we got about 20 minutes. We could have taken easily five, six hours more talking about all the stuff we wanted to talk about with David. But thank you again for coming on, David. We really appreciate all you've done for our franchise, and uh, we hope you and your family are doing well. You can find this show and all of our other shows at AmazingAvenue.com, on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts, you can find our show. You can find Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue, or always at AmazingAvenue.com. Chris is on Twitter at Chris McShane. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. And until next time, let's go mess. Mm-hmm.